Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Copa with Felipe Cardenas. I'm your host and I'm back. This is the first Copa of 2023. As you may know, or if you don't know, I was in Qatar for the World Cup, took some time off, and now I'm here on the first show of the new year with my boy, my colleague, my friend, Pablo Maurer. Pablo, what's happening, man? How are you? I'm good. I just noticed you uh, changed your Twitter avatar. It's no longer your face. When did that happen? I, You know, it happened recently because I, I don't like any of my, like, headshots or anything i don't even have a headshot and i was i was sick of all the uh like dumb selfies best, i was using so i went with best the, looking uh, dude on staff and he's <laughs> he can't show his face on his twitter account <laughs> meanwhile i'm posting a selfie every 30 seconds so you know yeah well anyways yeah. a lot of talk about that right now there's a lot of talk to talk about we're going to lead with uh, joseph martinez now officially an inter miami player the the joseph martinez era in atlanta uh, is officially over and what a run it was multiple trophies uh, multiple titles the swagger the personality everything that you really want uh, in a in, in a star in, in a league star Joseph Martinez had and, and it was it came to life in Atlanta so we're going to get into that we're going to talk a little bit about the U.S. Men's National Team the turmoil that continues to surround that team Mexico also doesn't have a head coach. These are two of the co-hosts of the next World Cup, and, and they're sort of in a limbo right now about who's going to lead that team in the next four years. Uh, Apple, Major League Soccer, their marriage has officially begun, and probably you were in Northern California for that uh, big unveiling for MLS Media Day. Can't wait to hear your thoughts on that. Uh, and we're going to end on, on some, I think, some of the biggest news of the year, Two of the biggest news stories of the year, which was uh, the king, the great, the first greatest player of all time, Pele, passing away on December 29th at the age of 82. And Argentina and Lionel Messi winning the World Cup, which that is a huge monkey off the back of another goat in Leo Messi. So, but let's start with Joseph. Uh, he's been now, according to Atlanta United, which was funny because they're like, the, the press release said he was waived. And then I heard from a leak source what that meant what does a no, a no trade clause do uh for a player when they have that how does how does he avoid waivers how is he given this freedom to choose the play the, the team that he wants to land in joseph martinez had a no trade clause he essentially selected to be reassigned which is the terminology for mls to enter miami so now he's going to be their star striker leading the line in 2023 Pablo, what's just your first impression? I mean, obviously, we've been reporting on this move happening uh, in the in the last couple of weeks. Now it's official. What comes to mind? Uh, you know, I mean, first and foremost, to me, Joseph, it's a, he's a player who's hard to imagine in another uniform, at least in MLS. Um, you know, it's it's interesting. Obviously, Lana. Uh, you know, he walks to a, a conference rival. I had to laugh at uh, you know. Carlos Bocanegra's comments earlier when he said that they kind of 
you know, allowed him to do so, I guess, you know, because it'd be good for Joseph. Um, I thought that was interesting. Um, but, but it's fascinating, man. I mean, clearly there's like a little bit of bad blood here and Joseph has, uh, you know, I don't know him personally, but strikes me as a player who, um, may well channel that and, uh, and, you know, his performances next season, obviously the roster in Miami is complicated in terms of, you know, where they fit him in and how many minutes he'll get. But, um, I'm, I'm eagerly, eagerly anticipating watching him this year, you know, it's going to be fascinating. I wrote in the sort of the news analysis that we did for the athletic that if he regains his form, if Phil Neville is, is able to harness Joseph Martinez, his personality, his fire, uh, the, the brand that is Joseph Martinez, and he starts scoring goals, like honestly, it can be a remarkable story for him, for the league, and for still a brand new club. And so it's as if it's something that they really uh, need uh, for each other. But you mentioned Carlos Bocanegra and, and what his comment was about being about Joseph essentially being allowed, quote unquote, to to land in, in Miami. I asked Carlos Bocanegra that question during the press conference earlier today, we're recording on Wednesday. And I asked Carlos if, if it was difficult for the club to, 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 to really allow this to happen, to, to see the, the, the first club legend move to a conference rival and not just a conference rival, like literally a team that they battle for playoff positioning, like they're neck and neck uh, year after year. This is, these are two clubs that have similar, uh, ambitions to, to, to really be a, a prominent club in North America and on the global stage. I think Miami obviously has a little bit more of that pizzazz because of South Florida, but this is what Carlos Bocanegra said to us. Uh, it's not a place we would have preferred him to go an in-conference rival, ambitious club. We could have been nasty, but Joseph means a lot to the club ownership stepped up. We wanted to find a good resolution for Joseph. Uh, that was pretty stunning to me. You know, I, I was on the call and when he said we could have been nasty, I almost like did a double take. Like he really just said this on the record, which here's my take. I, I can't wait to hear what you have to say about this, Pablo. But it's like, yeah, we know. We know we know professional sports can be a nasty business. Uh, so can advertising, so can retail, so can the service industry. Uh, every industry, every walk of life can be nasty, but that doesn't make it okay. Like we don't want, we don't need nasty relationships a, in life. What, what a low bar to set for yourself. <laughs> you know I mean, you're talking about the the your franchise player, yeah, a dude who is identified with Atlanta United, and you're acting like you've done him a, a favor by not taking the worst possible route. The use of the word nasty is just like strikes me. Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't know. It just it just it did like like it did to you, it kind of took me aback. I was like, yeah, I know you could do that. You could do whatever you want. You could, you know what I mean? You could hold any player hostage. Guess what? Like nobody, like no player wants to play for teams like that. That was also my, my first thought is like, if I'm not an Atlanta United player and I listen to Carlos Bocanegra say that, like, well, we could have been nasty, but we didn't. It's just like, you know, it's a little ridiculous, man. Well, it was, it essentially was like, it, it says a lot about the way so many players have left this club. Like they leave under negotiations that don't go the right way for them, that they sort of there's it's like a breakup rather than uh, a thank you and a farewell. So that happened with several players, uh, uh, LGP, Leandro Gonzalez Pires, Julian Gressel, uh, you know, even Michael Parkers when he retired, it just didn't seem like it was the exact way he wanted to go out either. Uh, you know, Jeff Lorenowitz, a lot of players that I think 
deserved another ending. Now, Joseph Martinez is, is next level in comparison to all those players that we've just mentioned. And, you know, the, the build the statue hashtag that Atlanta United fans love to, you know, trot out there, probably never going to happen. But it's, it does say a lot about what this player means to the club. So, Pablo, I mean, can he, can, can he thrive again? Can this can this player thrive again in in inter, at Inter Miami and in MLS? Like, what are we getting here? Yeah, um, first of all, I'd like to see that statue be of Joseph flipping a table of chicken and rice. <laughs> I think that's the preferred pose. Um, you know, like I said, I'm just sort of struck by this because uh, I do think. I mean, you even saw it last year in his play with Atlanta United, where he seemed motivated by a lack of play time motivated, you know, by, by doubters, that sort of stuff. Um, and I was struck also in his comments today, he mentioned Phil Neville immediately said that, uh, you know, that he was sort of his biggest champion and getting him there and stuff like that. It seems like he's already um, starting to lay this sort of bricks of a good relationship there. And like, you know, as an outsider, I don't cover Atlanta United, but it seems like uh, it, it's not even a controversial thing to say that his relationship with Atlanta was sometimes frayed, his relationship with coaches, players, teammates, etc. Um, so I don't know, man. I just genuinely think if Neville, if Neville plays him, gives him significant minutes, or even just uses him as a, a you know clinical kind of late game sort of guy, uses him in leagues cup and open cup, that sort of stuff. Um, would any of us be shocked if he scored 10 goals, 11, 12 goals? No, no. You know what I mean? Um, and if he plays a lot, somebody gets hurt or he has a good run of form, I don't know. I don't put it past him to have more than that. You know, I just think the, the ingredients here are like sort of, you know, primed for Joseph to really thrive now. Yeah, of course, man, maybe he goes there and flames out guy later in his career, that sort of stuff. But it's just hard to see it happening, man. Not in this league. I mean, he's been just consistently such a performer in MLS. The league hasn't changed that much, man. Um, and he's got all the motivation in the world. I mean, what do you, what do you make of it? No, I, I agree. I'll, I'll jump off your last point that the league hasn't changed a lot. Like de- defend defenders. Yes, it's improving, but it's still a league that favors the attackers. Like it's all about the goals. It's all about the DP signings, the big strikers, the big attacking players. And Joseph is that, uh, you know, Inter Miami has improved. The, 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 the soccer has gotten better under Phil Neville. So it's not like he's going to a, a team that uh, doesn't know how to score goals, that doesn't have an identity, you know, whatever that may mean, but they're learning to play within Phil Neville's system, if you will. And I agree. I think it's interesting. You know, Joseph Martinez didn't get along with a lot of the coaches in Atlanta. It's, and the th- that's the thing. That's part of the reason why his exit uh, ended up in this way, in my opinion, the, the constant change, the coaching carousel that was at Line United, you know, Tata Martino to Frank DeBoer, to several interim coaches, to Gabriel Heinze, and then Gonzalo Pineda, you know, the, the, the lack of continuity really began to affect a guy like Joseph Martinez, that all he ever wanted was just to be on a team that would win and to have the, the camaraderie that he had in 17 and 18. Uh, you know, I think he really just longed for that. Ever, when that ended, it was as if he couldn't really let go of the fact that the club was moving further and further away from what they had established, what they had started. Um, I agree. I think he has it in him. He's been the leading scorer for Atlanta United on, on one leg, essentially, over the last two years. When his playing time was cut by Gonzalo Pineda, uh, both whether it was a tactical decision or the relationship just honestly began to sour, 
uh, he still led the team in goals. He was still the most dangerous player on the field for Atlanta United. He was still the guy that was coming in when they needed a goal and they needed a win, and he was playing that role. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think he can fit several roles in this stage of his career, but it's not like he's a 35-year-old striker. You know, he just had a serious knee injury that that lingered. And today he told reporters, like, I went through a lot of tests. The knee is good. You know, he's grateful for that. And now we have to see. We have to see how it goes. Um, uh, something else I want to get your take on, Pablo, though, like this. What is a star in MLS? Like, do I've gotten so many DMs. I've talking. I've spoken to people that are close to Joseph. And the, the term that they use is. He's he left through the back door, which is a translation to Spanish. They say that a lot, like um, se fue por la, la puerta de atrás. You know, it's like they didn't show him the respect he needed. Yeah. yeah. Is, is is does MLS are they in a position to do that? Like this isn't Real Madrid. This isn't Man United. Uh, this is a seven year old club. Like, but it's still this is one of the things that as most affecting fans in Atlanta that he wasn't shown the proper respect, if you will. What do you think about that? Yeah. I mean, I think about, I think of, of ways that other clubs, uh, be it, you know, Orlando and Kaká or, or even like Miami and Iguain last year, Iguain was yeah. for, you know, for a year or so kind of a bit player for them, obviously performed very well last year, but, um, I, I found it, you know, I found his departure from that team pretty great. You know, they yeah. did pressers, they gave him all the opportunity in the world to express himself, um, and the stuff with Joseph is just like, you know, it's tough when this happens in preseason. There's no real way to sort of honor him on the field, that kind of stuff. But, um, but yeah, man, I mean, the guy is like, look, realistically, Joseph Martinez is not like an international megastar, right? But I mean, when you, when you talk about within MLS, he's, uh, he's an iconic player in the history of the league, yeah. period. And when you narrow it down to just Atlanta United, he is the player, Right, I mean, he is Messi at Atlanta United. He's like what Messi is to Barcelona. Joseph is to to actually. He's almost maybe even more like Cruyff at Barcelona or something like that. You know what I mean? He's like foundational, yeah, like an OG. players you identify the club with, and it's like it does. It sort of pains you. I mean, the part of me that's incredibly petty and loves this sort of stuff is like thrilled. You know, you already <laughs> sort of start thinking. You know, like oh, if he scores against them, is he going to celebrate, et cetera, yeah. et cetera? Because it 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 uh, you cannot help but be a little. Um, uh, I don't disturbed is the right word, but bothered by, by the handling of this. And again, I really hate to come back to this. And you know, look, man, players are always going to want to play for Atlanta United. It's a flagship franchise in the league. Period. But again, if you're an agent or your player, you're looking at this sort of stuff. You're like, man, the front office there doesn't necessarily take care of players who are like foundational. What are they going to do with me? You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. I just, th I just think it's food for thought. You know the way they handled all this. So, and who yeah, knows, man? Maybe, yeah. maybe when he comes back for the first time, they'll do something. Yeah, that happens sometimes, but but who knows? Yeah, I mean, I had heard that something was was discussed, and and the reason why I bring that up now is because this didn't happen over the last few weeks. Like the Joseph Martinez leaving Atlanta has they been in the works for yeah. several seasons, uh, and and in 2022, it was like the the writing was on the wall. Now, you know, I, I broke that story in October that he had been told by Carlos Bocanegra that they were moving on from him, that he was not part of the future plans at that time. Uh, I think the understanding was that Joseph Martinez wanted, was willing to stay and, and to work it out. The club made another decision and, and that's probably for the best. You know, you don't want a guy that truly doesn't want to be in at the club in the locker room. It just doesn't make any sense. 
perhaps the timing was right. Uh, but it does say a lot about the, the culture of Atlanta United and what I feel the new president and CEO, Garth Lagerway, I think it's one of his to-dos is to go in there and, and figure out, okay, like, who are we? Like, what is this club? Like, why are players leaving upset all the time? Uh, that's not the legacy I think the club wants, especially in this new era of Apple and MLS and all the content creation that's going to be coming about the leg- the legends of the of the club and you know you don't you you don't want bitterness from some from some of these players that have been here with a seven year old club. Of course, to your point, Pablo, it's like sometimes pettiness is just part of the the, the real world, and and I think this is a, sort of an example of. A lot of egos, a lot of big personalities, ultimately not getting along. Uh, and it'll be really interesting to see how Atlanta does honor one of their, or not in one of their, their biggest player of all time, a guy that they used to send uh, bobbleheads of uh, to the fans, golden statues of Joseph Martinez to the fans. They created a hologram of Joseph Martinez kneeling like he does when he scores a goal on top of Mercedes-Benz Stadium. And I think, Pablo, I think if he comes... When, when Inter-Miami and Atlanta United play for the first time in May, I believe, in South Florida, if he scores, uh, he's not, I don't think he celebrates. I really don't. I think he'll do the whole yeah, like, you know, calm, we, we down, like calm down. I had this conversation with, uh, with Lucho Acosta, right, who, who you know, left D.C. United on similarly bad, well, frankly, on worse terms. Um, and I had a conversation with him a while back, you know, I think it was before the first or second time he played United where I said, Vas a celebrar, you know, see, si, si Marca. <laughs> and, and he, he said, uh, por supuesto, you know, like, obviously, <laughs> you know, what happened when he scored? Nothing. Just the, yeah. The yeah. hands down. Calm, calm no, está bien, está bien. You know, like, yeah. so, so yeah, I think you're right, man. I mean, I, and I do think, uh, um, I think Joseph has always had a great relationship with Atlanta's fans. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, and I think, I think when you don't celebrate in that, uh, manner it's a it's to show respect to the fan the fans of the club really not the club itself you know exactly. so you're probably right man yeah i'm sure he daydreams about just like scoring a bike against atlanta united and looking up at the front office suite and just like kissing the badge of inter miami or something i don't know but i seriously doubt that's going to happen yeah. uh you're right when players decide not to do that it's 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 for the fans it's not really Oh well, the front office treated me so well. I'm not going to celebrate. No, they're like they're fucking they're footballers. They they celebrate goals. Um, so yeah, so this is going to be really interesting. Inter, Inter Miami. He he took the number 17. I, I I didn't. I saw the you know Pablo uh, Paul Tenorio reached out to me on Slack. He's like, did Joseph take 17 because of the 17s? I don't know if, if you're listening and you're not an Atlanta United fan. This is probably news to you as well, Pablo. I don't know. Um, Mm -hmm. Darren Eels created this nickname for Atlanta United's fans. He calls them the 17s. Okay. They're the 17th player on the roster. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, but it's very important to LNI fans. It's part of the, 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 I guess the, the launch of the club and Joseph took number 17 for, for inner Miami. Clearly he's, he's the number seven. He's he's probably being a nice guy, leaving. I don't know who has number seven on on Inter Miami, but he's being nice and he's taking seventeen. But there's a little bit of irony there, no? Yeah, maybe we're making more of that than uh, than it is. Uh, you know, if I if I mean that's the first I'd heard of that. You're right. Um, 
do you think Joseph had ever even heard of that? No, <laughs> you know, that's like, that's what I told that's what I told Paul. I'm like, he probably has never even heard of that either. But yeah, yeah, it's part of another storyline story that would make like good lead, good yeah, lead good uh, you know story or something like that. So thank you, Joseph. You know, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, so we'll close it out on that. You know, I think Joseph Martinez the. You know, something that Carlos Bocanegra said that I do agree with uh, during the presser this morning, he said that he met with Joseph uh, in 2020, shortly after he had a knee, the, that knee injury. He said they sat in Joseph's backyard and smoked cigars together, had a nice moment. And what Carlos told him is like, you know, someday this is going to come to an end. And he's and he's right. Like, I, I think that's a, a savvy thing to say. A general manager should be like, you know, we can't keep you forever. Uh, and perhaps that was a good moment between the two. You know, I, I, I know that it's, it's not the best relationship and perhaps, uh, you know, it was a bit of foreshadowing in that moment that to say like, you know, you're not going to be here forever. When Joseph had told me in a story last year that he wanted to die in Atlanta. Uh, but clearly I think you saw that the club had other, had other plans. Um, you know, he's not the first player of that really stunning first era to leave. In fact, he's now the last key contributor other than Brad Guzan to leave the club. The only remaining uh, players from that championship season are Miles Robinson, who was a player that played very sparingly under Tata Martino. And obviously Brad Guzan, who was the starting goalkeeper. So when we say end of an era, it sounds very sports cliche, but it really is. It's like, it's, it's, it's over. It's a, it's a, another reboot for Atlanta. Yeah, it's, uh, it is interesting. They seem to have gone between all the coaching changes and all the roster turnover. You're talking about one of these iconic franchises for the past five or six years that at this point has had like three, maybe four identities. You know, um, yeah. it just, I remember thinking the first year or two they played that this was going to be, uh, you know, a DC United type team as far as the early era of the league, a team that was going to run off three, four MLS Cups be perennially competitive for the first, you know, 10, 15 years of their existence. So it's been interesting, man, to watch them navigate all these speed bumps uh, again as an, an outsider. But, you know, I mean, any team that that has the resources that team does, that has uh, ownership that's committed to win, I mean, Atlanta's going to get it figured out, man, you know. Um, and, and so is Joseph. So it's it just, uh, you know, with all parties involved, it's going to be interesting to see what happens this year. Yeah. And, uh, you know, just – a nice segue to to what the next era for Major League Soccer is now um, with this relationship, this deal, this agreement with Apple for media rights, uh, a 10-year deal, $2.5 billion, I believe. Um, and and it's all, in my opinion, I'll, I'll just briefly say that you know, I, I like what the Apple relationship with Major League Soccer does for global expo- exposure. And and the segue from Joseph is because I, I really do feel like MLS still needs big stars. Like that that's what's going to sell the league beyond the the local fan bases, beyond just the the casual American observer. If you want people to tune in, they have to see stars in, in the majority of these games. And MLS isn't there yet. They don't have a star, a big star at every club. They also have way too many teams, it seems like, in order to do that. Uh, but Joseph Martinez is definitely going to be, I think, a guy that gets a lot of content love within Inter Miami, uh, within their digital team, and in this setup with Apple. So you made a cross-country trip 
from DC, you drove from DC to Northern California. If you don't follow Pablo on Instagram, do it. It was fascinating to see uh, what you saw on your way out there. Uh, the goal was to get to MLS Media Day, which is kind of hilarious. That wasn't the goal. It's not, that was not the goal. Please, I want to clarify this. It did not take an 8,000-mile road trip to go to Major League Soccer's Media Day at the San Jose Convention Center. Okay, It just happened to be out there. And if I'm being real about it, Felipe, I knew that I'd have probably camped three or four nights by then and would really enjoy a hot shower yeah. in a hotel room. So that's kind of why I pitched going there. But it's just, you know, whatever. It's fun. Um, I don't know if you've ever been one of these, but it's just like, I haven't. Like, what is MLS Media Day in, in the uh, in you know, in for MLS 3.0? What is it like? Uh, well, it's kind of the same where, you know, if you're a writer, it basically involves speaking to 25, 30 players in seven or eight hours. Um, you know, ideally the sort of top line players in the league. I don't really know that that was the case this year. And then in addition to that, it's, you know, conference rooms full of, you know, TV networks and content capture studio where they do all those stupid videos of players like catching balls and smiling or like stepping up to the camera, et cetera. Just all the one kind of thing. Um, Lots of this full year, kits, right? Full kit. Absolutely. You have yeah. just dozens of players walking around a convention center in cleats uh, and boots and shin guards, shorts and, you know, shirts. I mean, it's, it's a little ridiculous. They're just sitting around bored for six hours, you know, and, and they're full kit. Um, this year was different, though, as you mentioned, because um, MLS was doing a, an event with Apple, kind of rolling out some of their on-air talent, um, you know, for this new Apple deal. I thought it was uh, – I could give you my thoughts if you want. I thought it was yeah, like – Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, it was. It just felt very much like a victory lap for MLS and Apple before they'd even broadcast one single game. Um, you know, and I think – it's interesting to me, Felipe, I've, I've thought more and more about this deal with Apple and MLS really. And, and I think Don Garber, the commissioner in particular, sometimes it feels like they're kind of chasing cloud. Um, I, I sort of. An iCloud. <laughs> and sorry, yeah, exactly. sorry. I think, uh, I think of, you know, how they've added teams in Austin and Nashville. I sort of want to always want to be in these like hip, young, forward thinking cities. And to be clear, that's obviously a financial decision too. Those are, their customers, but um, you know, part of me feels like they were just seduced by Apple in the way that you or me or many consumers are seduced by Apple, where the design is right. It's almost cultish in a way. Yeah. Um, you know, after this Media Day event, they had an event out at Apple HQ, same type of deal, just you know, like uh, you know, kind of flexing corporate muscle for sponsors and for media and stuff like that. Um, but you know, it remains to be seen whether this product is even. Uh, going to be worth consuming, you know? So, so to me, that was just what struck me. It seemed very, very George W. Bush mission accomplished banner behind <laughs> him kind of thing. You know? So I guess it's, it remains to be seen what will happen. Yeah. I mean, again, like you, you make a great point. Like I'm an Apple guy. I'm a full on Apple consumer. I can't imagine my life without Apple. Like that's just it. Like I'm, I'm completely, <laughs> I drank the Kool-Aid. I chugged it. You know, I, I've dunked, I've been dunked by the Kool-Aid, whatever you want to say. Uh, and, and and so perhaps I'm a little biased to think that, yeah, like I like the deal. I've always said, though, and I think everyone that follows this league understands that, like, you've got to branch out. Like, you can't just rely on local broadcast, local re radio, the local reporters, and think you're going to grow the league. Like, you have to go global. And so the yeah, internationalization on, of the league 
was coming. You're, no, you're talking about going global. They're not even remotely relevant in their own markets. I'm serious. Yeah, no, it's true. It's you true. Know what I, mean? I, I understand the idea oh. that like, listen, unquestionably, this is a better deal for the global viewer. I mean, anybody with an Apple TV subscription doesn't matter what country, and you're going to get every single game, right? Um, that's a huge win for the league. Uh, I don't know that it does anything for the relevance in the United States of America, right? Where whatever 90% of their consumers are based. MLS is still, you know, in the world of professional sports, by and large, a curiosity, man. I'm sorry. Like, yeah. you know, I think that the league has grown tremendously and is far more relevant. But, you know, to just the average dude at a subway station or something like that, probably don't know anything about MLS. You know what I mean? Um, but that's that's so, why the stars are needed. That's why stars are so important. So when I you're in a, when you're you in know, a train I, I, station and you see a poster and it's two players you've never heard of. And that's why Gareth Bale leaving is sort of like, you're leaving now? Like he would have been a big draw, perhaps. I, I mean, I, maybe not. Dude, I, I, I loathe to say this, man, but they need Messi. They really need no, Messi. No, I know, I know. Like I, I, you know, it's I'm not like, a, you know, there's just like, it, you know, Messi, Rooney, Zlatan, Ronaldo. There's like five or Neymar. six players. Neymar, exactly. Yeah. That would really move the needle for the league. And Messi is just like, I, I am convinced that would, in the short term at least, make the league much more relevant, you know. Um, no, without a doubt. Like, remember the Beckham rule? We've talked about this a lot. There's books like Grant Wall, Grant Wall wrote a book about the Beckham rule. It's now the DP rule. There's going to be a messy rule if he signs for, for what we believe will be Inter-Miami if that deal gets done. There's, it's going to change the league to a point where uh, it, it, there's no going back once Messi arrives if he does. And I agree. There's, there's the traditionalist. And I remember asking Andres Cantor, uh, Telemundo's star play by play and most famous Argentine in the U S about Messi coming to the MLS. And he was, his, his reaction was like, I hope not. <laughs> it's like some people don't want to see that. They would rather see him end his career at the top, perhaps go to Newell's, you know, his boyhood club in Argentina. MLS is just like a marketing deal, but if, I mean, if, was was that his thought that it, this would just be sort of a synthetic thing, and it'd be a shame for a no, player like Messi I'm to paraphrasing? But it's kind of like he's yeah. too great a player to come to MLS, you know. And that that's that's common. <laughs> on, that is common in like a lot of Latin American countries. They don't want to see their best necessarily end up in MLS. But with where the league is going and the deal that they've agreed to with Apple, to your point, Pablo, you're absolutely right. Like a player like Messi is the one is the one player that when you're in the train station, you've never watched an MLS game in your life. You may have didn't, you, maybe you didn't know that MLS even existed and you see a poster of major league soccer and Lionel Messi immediately. You're like, okay, what is this? I'll watch. And that's the goal. That's why it's such a big deal for, to get him to major league soccer. It seems almost unfathomable, honestly, but it's also very possible. I, I think it'll happen, man. Um, having talked to stakeholders in MLS and stuff like that, I think it'll happen. And what you're saying about them, like, you know, I don't think there's going to be a messy rule per se, but I do think for players of that ilk, uh, things might become common, like cutting them in on real estate deals, yeah, that sort of stuff that, that, you know, you're going to have to obviously make the math work under the current rules. And um, I think maybe this is a huge precedent center in that way. I mean, I can't even wrap my head around what this guy might get paid. You know what I mean? Um, and he owns It'd property. Be, like he's already into real estate. It's like something yeah. that's part of his future. Uh, so you're you calling that like you hit the nail on the head. I think that'll be a big part of the agreement. 
not just yeah, oh, we'll give you we'll give you ownership. No, it's like you know, here's downtown Miami. <laughs> Yours. Yeah, I mean, he already apparently owns half of Saudi Arabia, so <laughs> that's true. <laughs> anyway, that is yeah. true. That is no, true. I mean, keep your fingers crossed. But I do think you know the last thing I'll say about the Apple thing is uh, Paul and Sam, Paul Tenorio, Sam Stachko on their you know podcast allocation disorder. Uh, it's which, an by the way, winning podcast, award-winning, award-winning podcast internally, allocation internally, sponsored yeah. by Dude Wipes. I so I listened to the last episode of Allocation Disorder. I'm so ashamed to admit this. Like walking through arches national park you know it's beautiful <laughs> natural landscape and i've got sam squawking in my ear but um you know i do think uh sam made a good point it's one i thought of too which is i can't figure out how this apple deal makes sense for apple financially they'd yeah. have to sell you know four or five million subscriptions and i know there's other pieces advertising maybe they're just interested in the visibility that kind of stuff or using it as like a test bed for other stuff but like I can't figure out how Apple's ever going to make money off of this, you know? Um, and it just, you know, this is the last thing I'll say. I just like chuck it onto the pile of other things about the league that I don't understand, you know, like how 80% of the teams don't make money and yeah. X, Y, and Z thing. This is just like the latest thing about MLS that I just, I'm just like, <laughs> all right, man, I guess they know what they're doing. You know what I mean? like, Good luck so, with that. Yeah, now, here's exactly. my theory about Apple. I agree that uh, I, I do think it's sort of like the, their way of dipping their toe in what is soccer media rights. Yeah. And if, if what we know about Apple and, and these mega tech companies is that they take a bite and then eventually they take the whole cake. And I think this is just my theory. This is not, I'm not reporting. I haven't spoken to sources about this or anything. Uh, come 2030 and perhaps beyond, I think you could see a, a company like Apple bidding for World Cup rights. For sure. Uh, it's yeah. that big of a, a play for them, I believe. I think the MLS is their way to get soccer fans connected to the brand, uh, like uh, just the way soccer fans are connected to Adidas or Nike. Uh, or any of the other you know big brands that are involved with the sport, and I think you'll see Apple uh, start to to challenge the the other networks like NBC, CBS that have like this this hold on on the biggest soccer rights in in the world. Like Amazon has tried it. You know, Amazon was a big was bidding for Premier League rights. I really think Apple is going to be there. You know, making a pitch. You know, to host the biggest tournament in the world. I think I think you're right too about something which is uh i just got this uh like late 70s u.s national team warm up um off ebay and it's adidas and i'm looking at this thing and it's like just classic three stripes down the shoulders the adidas design it's got concentric kind of numbers like the mexico world cup sort of motif and i you know you're just looking at this thing and salivating and you're like and you and i talk about kits all the time we talk about adidas it's sort of like iconic thing i just wrote yeah. that denim kit piece and it was this like and, you know, it's, it is one of those things where it's like the brand has just been associated with the sport for so long that it's become cultural. You know, it's like not like yeah. a, we're sitting here talking about a corporation. You know what I mean? But we're talking about it like it's like this institution of design and should be celebrated and stuff like that. So you're right. I mean, maybe Apple's maybe Apple's long play here is to sort of get their foot in the door in the soccer space. And then in 20 years be, you know, a, a Nike or a, an Adidas or whatever in the sport of soccer, you know, it's not something I thought can. of. They can. Yeah. I mean, the, they you know, the have home the of soccer. Yeah, yeah, they have the resources. They have the design sensibility already. Like, think of every Nike commercial with 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 uh, the, the biggest stars, you know, from, from the world's game. 
uh, and then think of just the first apple spot that comes to your head and there there's something there that 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 works uh yeah think and, of like the silhouette of breck shea dancing around with an ipad totally iPod, that's what know? i'm talking about that is what i'm talking about I, listen we just we should just let's just move to apple is it so cupertino and be the creative yeah, directors and yeah, just yeah like, exactly let's go know, let's bring brick shea as our acd uh but yeah I, I agree i think that's a long play it'll be interesting to see you know you mentioned paul and sam and allocation disorder they, they had a good conversation about the subscription model like how does how is apple going to figure this one out uh, it'll be really interesting to see how people how fans uh how willing they are to pay the premiums there's there's going to be a lot of games that you can watch without paying but there's going to be a lot of games on, on behind a paywall and we know that for a lot of people, paywalls are like, that's it. That's that's the deal breaker. I'm not moving past this. But there's going to be a make or break point for a lot of fans. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, let me just, let's end on this. I do want to get your take on some of the talent. Let's, why not? You know, this is still a work in progress. There's still a couple, uh, big names that haven't been officially announced. I believe like Brian Dunseth, uh, Paul and Sam did report that they are working on the deal with Brian Dunseth, Kevin Egan as well. Uh, Kevin Egan, big WWF guy now big superstar in that space as well, but he was the voice of Atlanta United over the last few years. A deal is being worked out for him as well. Uh, Taylor Twelman, obviously the big name. That's what everyone is talking about. But And so before I just get your take on the talent in general, we don't need to go name by name, but what do you feel when you look at the, the, the diversity of this group? You mentioned it in a story that you wrote that they did almost intentionally go younger uh, with, mm-hmm. this, with this talent pool. You know, what, what is going to be the, the premier duo, though? You know, we had John Champion and Taylor Twelman for so long. Stuart Holden, John Strong on the Fox side. It's like, you know, these pairs, you, they're like married couples. What's going to happen in the future for MLS? Who's, who are they going to pair with Taylor Twelman, basically? It's a good question because right now, of all the color guys, this sort of um, 
brought on board there's or announced i should say there's not some massive standout i mean taylor's taylor's sort of uh, public profile dwarfs anybody else on the stage by far you know um and you know i'm not exactly sure um or i should say the play-by-play people there's there's yeah. an obvious play-by-play guy to, 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 to pair with 12 men um I, I don't know, man. I mean, I was definitely struck at the the youth of the group and I and the di- the diversity as well too, both gender and 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 racial diversity. I do sort of think, um, you know, there's a couple guys that that have been reported that um, that round out that group age wise, but I think by and large, maybe that group is lacking some experience. You know, I do think um, when I asked Don and I asked Eddie uh, Q from Apple about that sort of um, you know, very obvious decision to go younger. They said, look, man, these are our consumers. I mean, if you look up at the stage today, the people up there are sort of demographic we want to target, you know, that these are our customers almost. Yeah. I think that's true. But I also think that MLS has a history over the years of casting aside people with institutional knowledge. And, um, you know, I don't want to get on some high horse about, you know, they don't respect their own history or something like that. But there are many guys, I man, I don't understand how somebody like JP Del Camera isn't involved. The dude is... Mm-hmm. Just called the World Cup, called, called something like 17 or 18 men's and women's World Cups combined, um, has a deep knowledge of MLS, uh, will still call games for Fox, and uh, I'm told a ton of NWSL stuff this year too. That's one name to me that I'm just like, I don't get why yeah. they wouldn't bring him in. I don't, you know, for a while there, someone like Tony Miola was on the outside looking in. Um, all these guys that have been sort of fixtures in the league, uh, I think are, are being very intentionally moved on from doesn't sit terribly well with me, you know, um, I think there's a place for some, but not all of them, yeah. you know? So, um, you know, they, they sort of, I think gone to an extreme with the, the sort of casting aside of their previous identity, you know? Yeah, it's a good point. I, I, I think, uh, I'm pretty sure Tony Miola is another name that's, that's in negotiations perhaps. Uh, he is, but, he is, but, yeah. but you're right. You know, I, I even tweeted when the, the, the roster was announced that it was a diverse group, a lot of experience. And after I hit tweet and sort of marinated with him, like, you know what, you're right. Like there is also a lot of people on this team that are inexperienced, like Sasha Kliston. he Kliston, he just, you know, he just started as an analyst um, after retiring, you know, just moments ago, pretty much. Uh, Diego Valeri, a big BWP, BWP, like, and again, this is the, this is how former professional players get into the business. So like, uh, you know, props to them for, for doing the work, probably having great agents and, and, and interviewing well, I'm sure in order to get this job. But, uh, you know, I think it is also uh, a picture of what, the the new vibe is like for in 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 a lot of these studio uh setups it's it's younger it's more off the cuff it's not as formal some people like that some people despise it you know i know the you know nba on tnt continues to be the the gold standard and i i sometimes i think it's ridiculous that we keep trying to to be compared to that it's a completely different sport (laughs) different culture you know different uh the hosts are just, you know, can you imagine Shaquille O'Neal and Charles Barkley calling soccer games or being a, a studio host for soccer games? No, like this, this is, this is their territory. Like that's yeah. the NBA and it, that's why it works so well. But uh, you're seeing more of that, the, the, the young inexperienced analyst or play-by-play guy producers and creative directors taking chances on those names and those faces because 
those are the consumers, like you said. And there's a lot of social play involved as well. Who has the most followers? Can we engage them? So I just think it's just the modern era of, of, of television, you know, talent casting. And perhaps in 30 years, these are going to be the names that we talk about as being like, you know, the, in the forefront of, of MLS soccer, but yeah, Della camera, um, the, the play by play, uh, Johnson, Dave Johnson. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You know, from DC United. Yeah. Yeah. Joe uh, Joe Totino is another one in LA. And there's a lot of, a lot of guys that sort of, you know, and look, man, um, at the end of the day, I'll, I'll quickly point out that, I'll be 43 in June and I'm, you know, I'm used at times to thinking of myself as the target demographic and the older you get, the less of a target you become. You know what I mean? So I think there's some of that at play here too. I sort of have to, uh, you know, remind myself that uh, MLS's ideal consumer is, is literally half my age. Right. Um, So, so certainly I have to have to own that, but um, it's just got really depressing. Anyways, what do you you think? Can we, can we handle on a weekly basis, Max Bratos and Taylor Twelman in the booth together? Is that too much Uh, energy? (laughs) I I mean, (laughs) I like both those guys. It's funny. I've never really put them together in that way. Um, (laughs) uh, You know, I, I did talk to Max, uh, actually at a, at a bar after that media event and he walked up and I said, how'd you get in here? You're like three times as old as all these people, <laughs> um, you know, typical Max though, wear like loud suit, you know, he fits in with the younger crowd. I think he, you does, know? So, he does. Um, no, I, I don't know. You know, guys like Max Taylor, they'll, they'll do fine. And they've been around forever. You know what I mean? I'm more interested to see how the, how the vibes are on some of the, the B and C level broadcast teams. Um, and the studio, the like, the the studio. yeah, the vibes <laughs> yeah. might be off. I mean, yeah. this is all about, I think this is a big studio play and, and that's where a lot of the criticism will, will be centered on. Are, are these, is the whip around show interesting? Is it engaging? Uh, is it too unscripted? Is it perfect for MLS? Like that's, I think that's, what's going to be the feedback uh, when this kicks off in just a few weeks. Uh, I'm excited to see it. I'm excited to see I mean, I think you, a lot of people it, that. Cause the chance it might be a little cringy. It like might it be, might be you know, I mean, if they're going, I hate to say that, but if they're going after that sort of TikTok demo, you know, um, I, I don't know, like <laughs> I'm bracing myself for maybe a little bit of cringe. I'm not sure. You know, I, like, I remember in, in talking to Pete Radovich, CBS, you know, one of the big producers for CBS soccer, when they launched the Golasso show with uh, Nico Cantor, like they had a lot of growing pains. They went through a lot of growing pains. He had never, Nico Cantor had never been a host, a studio host. But they went with it, and they sort they 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 took the the hits, they took the punches, they took the criticism, and it's it, it's a show that continues to grow, uh, and it, it it has gained an audience because there there was uh there there was a there was an opening there. People love those types of shows, especially now that everyone's working from home. So many people at home, you're not watching full ninety minute games. It's great to just see highlights. Uh, there's a big there, there's a the big opportunity for MLS to do something similar, but it might not be perfect to start it might take a couple seasons maybe cringeworthy but that'll be great for social it'll be great for social mls and cringe is, yeah. you know we, it, they go they go hand in hand uh speaking of cringe and this is honestly unfortunate i don't want to make light of the situation uh but the u.s men's national team is in this <laughs> drama filled novella uh, that is honestly just it's embarrassing it's 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 a scandal, in my opinion. It is a scandal. Uh, it, it's it, it's backstabby, and 
what am I talking about? You probably know already, but I'll just rehash this before we get into some discussions. Uh, you know, Gio Reyna did not play much at the World Cup under Greg Berhalter. Greg Berhalter then gave a speech, which was supposed to be off the record, where he didn't name Gio Reyna, but he essentially used him as an example of what poor sportsmanship looks like, what 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 a player that isn't giving his all looks like at the highest level. Uh, and what that resulted in was Gio Reyna's parents, Claudio and Danielle, going to Ernie Stewart, who is the U.S. Uh, men's national team sporting director, and revealing a very private and personal incident from 1991 between Greg Berhalter and his then-girlfriend, now-wife, Rosalind, where they had an argument, it got physical, and Greg Berhalter kicked her. They have since, like I mentioned, they're married. For over, they've been married for over 25 years. I believe they have four kids. So clearly that was their problem and their issue to manage. Uh, what do we make of this? You know, I, I, one of the things that I think about a lot is U.S. Men's National Team fans were so excited about this young team. The youngest team at the World Cup by they were bare, they were almost the youngest team at the World Cup. Ghana was the youngest team, but having this young, dynamic, all these players, it's just gonna be so exciting. We've got the future, da da da. And it was like we forgot that they're so young that their parents are still involved in their careers. <laughs> and this is what we've it's been this is what it's led to uh, an ugly incident. But Pablo, it's been thoroughly reported, it's it's been exhausted at this point, but it's not solved because Greg Berhalter is still in limbo here. What were your first impressions when you began to hear what was developing, which some people have compared to extortion? Yeah. I mean, my first thought, uh, you know, when Greg gave that leadership summit, the, uh, you know, the remarks that were supposed to be off the record or whatever was, uh, um, how dumb are you to think that you could say anything to a room full of people and have it be truly off the record. Right. Um, so my first thought was, uh, was that Greg Berhalter did a pretty stupid thing, um, uh, which was quickly overwhelmed by, uh, by, uh, you know, Gio Reyna's parents, obviously Claudio, um, uh, you know, I I just, I can barely wrap my head around how incredible. I mean, everybody in the situation is like, covered in filth, right? I mean, there's like Greg does a thing that's somewhat calling professional and stupid. Then Gio, you know, Gio was all starts with Gio doing a thing and at, you know, not training at a world cup basically, or not, uh, you know, not, uh, just pouting, you know, not putting the correct amount of effort. in. that's incredibly yeah. dumb. Exactly. Um, and then his parents do something that's so stupid and so, uh, manipulative and dumb and frankly, incredibly unfair to someone like Rosalind Berhalter or their kids, that sort of stuff that it makes me almost completely forget about what Greg did. Right. Um, it's like a snowball effect kind of thing. Um, in, in regards to Berhalter though, I mean, I don't, I just don't see a path forward with that person after this entire situation. Right. And a lot of it's not his fault. A lot of it's the exposure of a, a situation that obviously was dealt with and, Um, you know, he was open and honest about it, obviously when it came to light. Uh, but you know, I just think, you know, it's like, and then it keeps going and going. I mean, if like, if, you know, Claudia Reyna, obviously is a GM at Austin FC, if you're a player there, how do you trust that person? I mean, like, it's just like the tentacles of this just keep going. You know, if you're Gio Reyna now with your club, they look at you the same way in the locker room. If you're a club looking to, to buy Gio Reyna, 
you know, does his value go down? I mean, it's effing crazy, man. Like it just goes on and on and on. You, I, I try, I've tried to like, not make it not like sensationalize it or whatever, yeah. not make it into like you described it at the novella, but it just is man. Like it, it's like undeniably, it makes the Harks when all the infidelity thing in 98 look like child's play, like a Hallmark movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just ridiculous. Like, and, and this is my personal opinion, you know, Danielle Reyna, uh, having given statements to multiple outlets, including the athletic, you know, admitting I went to Ernie Stewart, you know, this is what I said. This is why I said it, which I just, to me, it was such a bad look, uh, to, to even just admit to that. Um, and, and there is an, inve- there is an investigation that, that is underway within us soccer concerning that, and uh, alleged uh, inappropriate behavior towards staff members from third parties. It's just like, it's not over yet. And the, when I the think hilarity, of the hilarity of her saying like, well, I didn't think it'd become a whole thing. I just said it to Ernie, you know, like a, we're as a, in a friendly conversation or whatever. I mean, like, yeah. come on. And dude. also, <laughs> are, know, we, like, are we honestly all, are we just supposed to believe that Claudia didn't know that that was going on? Give me, yeah. give me a break. I get, when I think of Daniel Reyna and what she admitted to, I just immediately insert Claudia Reyna as well. To me, he is just oh, of course, of as course. guilty. Yeah, of like course. he's not yeah. gonna let his wife take yeah. the hit and and you know, I'm gonna continue my career as a GM and it was one of US soccer royalty. No, like you you've you've tarnished your legacy here. Uh, I mean, I'm, and, I'm not trying to like not to bring Eric Winald into this, but it does make you it reframes the way you view like his comments earlier in the World Cup about how Claudio had been expressing his frustration with playing time and stuff like that. Of course, of yeah. course, these dudes were sitting, of course, Claudio and his wife were sitting around stewing on this. And, you know, it, it's my assumption they probably made this decision together. You know, I mean, it just, Absolutely. It, it's just like, it's ridiculous, dude. <laughs> you yeah. know, like, it's, and here's the other piece too. It, like, I started to keep talking over you, but like, you know, we're talking about Greg. And the question right now is does, does US soccer bring him back? Greg has, at least publicly express that he still wants the job. I don't know about that though. If you're Greg Berhalter, do you really want this job given all of this BS, given all that sort of stuff, given the fact that right now you could probably get a job coaching a mid tier European club, right? Somewhere in, I don't know, Scandinavia, wherever, right? Like good money. Don't have to deal with any of this stuff. And if he does return as the coach, he's going to get asked about like, this is not going to go away for the next three years. Yeah, yeah, it's not going away. It's it's going to be the players will be asked about it. And what will happen is what we saw happen in Mexico. It will damage the club. It'll damage the locker room. It'll damage the vibes of the team. It'll affect the way they play. Uh, it'll be the focus of the report, reporters questions, even when it should be based on tactical decisions or player selection. It's all going to come back to this is awkward. Greg Berhalter is still the coach. I agree. And, and just on a little bit of recency bias here, Greg Berhalter with all the pressure that he was under heading into the world cup. I thought he had a good world cup, not great, but pretty decent um, with, you know, a team that I felt didn't exceed expectations to me. They didn't, they, I would say that they met them. They met expectations and the takeaway being in, in, in Qatar and speaking to other reporters and even just colleagues, they, they look at the U S they're like, that team can play. Like that was the takeaway from a lot of the games at the World Cup. Obviously, they were outclassed and just schooled against the Netherlands. But in general, the, the people that had never seen the U.S. play that weren't 
part of this four-year cycle or, or the two-year cycle of qualifying saw a team that was like, okay, this team is, is interesting. And so that's a shame because Greg, Greg Berhalter, despite all of the scrutiny, has had a lot to do with that growth. But I agree. I don't see how it's how it's a good thing to keep him, for him to want to be the coach of this team where you're not just going to blacklist Gio Reyna. Uh, that doesn't go well either. Ask Chicharito, ask Mexico about that. Uh, and, and yeah, like you have to re, uh, you have to re- rework the locker room again, because you don't know, like players are saying all the right things that it was dealt with internally, but it becomes something that, that, that can take on a life of, of its own. Uh, you know, he's not, I think he's a good coach, but he, I, I don't know how, <laughs> what the younger players truly think of Greg Burhalter. Is it time for a change? You know, it, it seems like it's unfortunately the right time to move in another direction. Well, well, make no mistake. Cause the, the, here's the other thing is that who say they do that. Whoever replaces him also still has plenty of work to do. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the fallout from this doesn't leave with Greg Burhalter. Like you said, Gio Reyna still exists. He's, you know, listen, man, he's not a world beater globally, but for a player from the United States, he's an exceptional player. He's yeah. going to be part of the U S system for years to come. Um, you're still going to have to find a way to incorporate him. Players, you know, on this current roster are still going to have feelings about him or how Greg handled it. So even, you know, the U.S.'s next coach, whoever that might be, um, you know, the fallout from this is something you're going to have to deal with. Who's going to be the next coach, Pablo? Let's end this segment on that. Like who we heard about the, the, the Zidane was approached. You know, Zidane was approached by by someone within U.S. soccer. That's debatable <laughs> if that really happened. If it was an agent, we don't really know yet. But um, that was an interesting name to be out there. Pep Guardiola I, I heard has Cristiano obviously- almost went to Sporting Kansas City as well. So. <laughs> yeah, it's been a yeah, big yeah. summer. You know, oh gosh, we should do an entire show on that. By the way, <laughs> I, th- I think yeah, you know, they got he never wanted to turn his face ca- FaceTime camera on. You know what I yeah. mean? It was kind of weird, but you know. It's like, not to go on a tangent, but it's like, we almost had him as like a big story. I don't know. That shouldn't be the goal here. But anyway, yeah. uh, Zidane is similar in that. Hey, we, we, Zidane turned us down. You know, we must be making it in world soccer. Who's the right fit then, Pablo, leading up to 2026? Um, you know, I have sort of like a lizard brain about this sort of stuff. I'm always going to want a big name foreign coach. I mean, I am sure I don't, I, Frankly, I don't remember specifically, but I'm sure when they named Jurgen Klinsmann the coach, when Sunil got his guy or whatever, I was thrilled. You know yeah, what I mean? Sure. Um, uh, you know, my dream hire would be like Bielsa, right? Or Pep. I mean, these names that just are frankly unattainable, although I think actually Guardiola is one that yeah. – yeah. yeah, in the long term, I think he might do it, man. I mean, like he's done everything else. He's He loves the United States, yeah. you know. Um, but I don't know. I mean, more realistically, you know, people talk about – again, people – the name that always gets tossed out is Jesse Marsh, right? And um, I'd ask you the same question I just did about Greg. Does he even want the job? I mean, he has, you know, look, for the time, for the very near future, at least, he's still employed. Um, he has a job that's been nearly impossible for American managers to get over the years, uh, a job at any EPL club, right? Um, so I don't know. Does he leave that for the U.S. national team? Yeah, you know, maybe he sees he the writing on the wall. But I think he has. I think Jesse Marsh absolutely would. And you're right. Like you, he has a job now. Yeah, I do. I do. And only and for for two reasons. One, because uh, 
I still think even when you're in the Premier League, it is still a, a, a truly like lifetime goal to coach your national team. It's it's probably I can't imagine you uh, someone like Jesse Marsh or really any American coach that that is still active today turning that job down. So I absolutely believe that Jesse Marsh would take it. Also, Leeds United, while it's an awesome club to be at, he is on the hottest seat in the Premier League right now. Yeah, and yeah. it's like he they win a game and he gets off of it, and then they draw a game, they lose a game, he's back on it. Uh, it's a club that needs a lot of help. It's not just Jesse Marsh. Is his, it's not his job to fix the club. Uh, but patience is so thin in England, and he could be out sooner than he thought and could be available sooner than he expected. And if this transpires the way it's going, there's an interim coach right now coaching the U.S. men's national team during January camp. It's happened before. If Jesse Marsh is available, I don't know how you don't approach him. I, I still like Jim Curtin. Uh, I think mm-hmm. even though uh, I think he's he's he really is built to be at a at a bigger have a bigger opportunity at a bigger club outside of the United States. Uh, you know, it would be interesting that type of personality coaching a national team. Uh, but, yeah, I think still Jesse Marsh is the top guy and I absolutely believe he would take the job. All right. Speaking of another segue. Um the World Cup, what's happening in four years? Uh, Leo Messi, after winning the World Cup, said he wants to continue to play. That was a big, big story during the World Cup in Qatar. Like, What happens with Messi if they don't win the World Cup? What happens with him and his international future if they do? For a while there, after they lost to Saudi Arabia, it was like, this is it. Like he's, They're not going to win. <laughs> he's going to go out as as the, as that the, the, one of the best players in ever to not win a world cup title clearly that was flipped he has a world cup title he's won everything there's nothing else for leo messi to do but he still wants to continue playing pablo we just talked about him being so huge for mls how big would it be to have him in the north american world cup leo messi yeah i mean huge i i I told somebody um during the world cup in Qatar that like to me the only way that you ever saw Messi in an Argentina shirt again was if they won, you know, I thought if they lost, there's no way he ever placed them again. Um, But with the monkey off his back and sort of with very little pressure, just sort of go out there and enjoy it, you know? So, and yeah, I mean, if he's still, look, if he's still playing, he's still healthy. um, I don't see any way he doesn't make their roster as like a, an experienced guy, an impact guy late in games, maybe even still a starter. You have yeah. no idea, you know, it's just like, uh, it would obviously be massive, you know, um, especially because he'll probably be playing for the Houston Dynamo at that point, you know, so <laughs> he's gonna be he'll, be, he'll be playing for his third MLS team. Probably. Can you imagine the MLS and Apple promos when the, you know, the, uh, whatever uh, MLS will have, uh, 85 teams by then and Messi will be a designated <laughs> player for, Shakhtar Scranton Wilkesbury FC or something like that. So, the messy the messy rule will be that he has to play for like several teams in one season. That's exactly it. That's it. he just has it, to do it. It cracks me up, man. I just did this Pele story and um I should say Pele story and um he retired from the NASL in 1977 and I was like he'd watch games in 78 or 79 on tape or they're on YouTube and like um uh, Pele would just still be there. Like the league just still trotted him around and it's like, you know, walked him out <laughs> on the field before games, you know, two years after he was retired, just to, 
just for the sort of uh, you know draw effect he had. So yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe Messi will become uh, MLS's mascot or something like that. Who knows? You know, maybe. I mean, we I think we all agree that like Leo Messi, he he isn't. He's. He, I wrote a big story about the comparison with Maradona after he won he won that that the title, the World Cup. Like, how do you compare him to Diego? Uh, and they're just so such so different, like personality wise. And that's why, you know, the day that Leo Messi retires, like he just goes and he's going to be a stay at home dad. Like we may not see him again other than what you just mentioned, like these weird sort of like ambassador roles for the different leagues he's played for. Uh, but he's not going to be a pundit. He's not going to be an analyst. Uh, he's not going to be in the booth. Like this is it. This is your opportunity to grab on to Messi and, 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 and squeeze the last bit of juice out of him. Uh, and, and I can guarantee he's a big, big draw for the World Cup in four years as well. Uh, but let me, before we get to Pelé, do you remember the conversation we, you and I were having during the World Cup final? When it was, I think it was, maybe it was 3-3 at that point, or maybe it was 2-2, I don't know. And, you, and I just remember you wrote to me, you said, if they lose, if Argentina loses this game, <laughs> it's going to be so tragic. Yeah, And like, obviously they didn't lose, but like, why did you say like let, let's explain like the 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 culture that is the fanaticism that is Argentine football in that moment? Yeah, I mean it, it was as much about how the game started. Obviously, it sort of like yeah. it it just felt like a coronation very quickly. You know what I mean? Like you sort of felt the weight off. I mean, as a neutral, I mean, listen, man, I have no issues with France. I, I, Kylian Mbappe is an incredible player, but uh, you know, if you're a neutral, you want Messi to win. Period. Right? I mean, it's like. Like you said, I mean, and for me particularly, one of the biggest arguments I hate in professional sport is when the is the whole sort of like, oh yeah, I mean, like he's not the greatest because he never won yeah. X championship or like X number of championships. I'm like, shut up, dude! Like, you could you could <laughs> be the greatest player in the history of sport and not have done that. You know, like other players are fortunate to have been surrounded by better talent, that sort of stuff. But um, so to me, I was just like relieved also that I, we I would never have to have that argument about Messi again. Right. Um, uh, on the other hand, yeah. Once, once obviously France, I mean, I just can't even, even thinking about what happened in that game right now, my brain is like short circuiting. It's because it was so absolutely it was so stressful, insane, man. man. Um, yeah. I mean, imagine I mean, being the, the, from Argentina. The, yeah, exactly. The tragedy there just goes to like, you know, man, if the U S loses in that manner or something like that, it's news. But at the end of the day, like a week from now, it's aside from, 10,000 people on Twitter. It doesn't get talked about a lot. If Argentina had lost that game, dude, it, it, I mean, there may have been like blood in the streets. It would have been, <laughs> you know, sort of just like li- literally maybe, maybe figuratively. Right. It, um, it would have just been like carved into lore, uh, you know, in, in the way that like the, the Bill Buckner era is for Red Sox yeah. fans, just yeah. like that sort of next level tragedy. Right. So, yeah. To me, I was just like, I was so immensely relieved that they, that they won. Honestly, yeah. just for for like the sake of humanity. <laughs> you know what I mean? No, like, and, and, and I'll admit, I am a Maradonista. I am. I, I am part sure. of yeah. that. I am part of the cult that is Diego Armando Maradona. It's he was you, my you hero. And, you and I both. Up. You and I both. Yeah, you know, yeah. you and I, we, we can. We're on the same page there. Uh, and, but I, I, I got to the point. During when I was covering Argentina at the World Cup, where I was like, you know, I'm just being neutral. And then as they progressed, they progressed. I saw Messi score two goals in person. I was like, this guy is ridiculous. Like, he better win this tournament. 
he better win it. Like I don't I don't want to see this this I don't want to see Messi a sad Messi again at that yeah. point. And during the final, it took on an, a, a, a whole new level where I was like, he might be, he's going to become the the the, the biggest sports star in the his, history of any sport that will be considered a loser if, if they don't win this game. Um, so, yes, I think there was a lot of relief. Now, as a South American, there's nothing like, it's hard to stomach an arrogant Argentine because that's just how it is in that country. But props to them. Props to them. They suffered. They suffered to get the title, um, and I think it was well deserved in the end. Uh, I think they were very happy to to have not had to play Brazil, who was I think an absolute machine during the World Cup, uh, and that does take us to Pele. Pele was on uh, was very sick during the World Cup. I remember being there and and talking to colleagues, and there was a concern that Pele, you know, Pele would pass away while Brazil was still playing in the tournament. And there were a lot of conversations like, what is this going to do to Brazil? Like what will happen to the country? What will happen to the national team? If they're, you know, their greatest ever player, the biggest icon in the sport passes away during the tournament. That did not happen. He passed away uh, about 11 days after the final you did. You wrote a story. You're, you're very, you're like a Pele historian, Pablo. I'm being very gracious with that, but you know a lot about the, about the player you wrote about his time in the U S uh, it, what do what do we what do we say about Pele? You know, I have my own thoughts that I'm going to say, but what do we say about Pele now that he's gone in, in in this new era of the go era? Yeah, he is one. It's uh, you know you look at him alongside Messi, Maradona, whoever else you want to put in that conversation. It's tough with him. I mean, he played in Brazil his entire career. Um, the quality of defending just simply has gotten much better, particularly in midfield. Um, at the same time, man, you watch, you know, I, the compilation I, uh, I saw maybe a couple of weeks ago comes to mind where it was like um, your favorite players move like Pelé did it 30 years earlier. I don't know if you yeah. saw it. It yeah. was him doing like a Cruyff turn mm-hmm. or like a sombrero or whatever, you know, it's like um, and it was. I mean, you watch him. I've watched pretty much every game he ever played in America. And at 36, he's the best player on the field by a country mile. And you know, like but but obviously um, the bulk of my reading and writing and stuff about um about that player has been on his effect on soccer as a whole in the united states um i i frankly think nobody there isn't one figure other than him you know i I think he's the most he's the most important figure in american soccer history when it Mm -hmm. comes to the modern popularity of the game i think he dwarfs beckham he dwarfs players like that um you know i just think uh he planted the seeds of the heads of all these guys who are on the 90 U S world cup team, the 94 team. Um, you know, it's just sort of like a knock on effect, you know? So it was a pleasure. Also something that struck me is he's, he's maybe the only athlete in the world, man. You talk to somebody about Michael Jordan and he's like the greatest, but he's not like a, a deity. I mean, you talked, yeah. you talked to anybody about um, Pelé and he's like, you know, I remember I talked to Sergio Mendes, this just, crazy famous Brazilian musician. And he was saying things like, to me, uh, Pelé means happiness and togetherness. And it means like, and these are not things that are typically said about people. Right. You know what I mean? He's speaking about or him athletes. like he's a feeling or athletes, <laughs> yeah. especially. Yeah. Um, you just can't find one person who says anything truly bad about him, you know? And obviously I mean, we saw like in the Netflix documentary a couple of years ago, 
he has his own complexities. He largely stayed out of politics during a time yeah. when Brazil when he was. Yeah, he could have been a voice. A hundred percent, you know. Um, but if the worst thing you can say about him is that he didn't go out of his way to involve himself in certain situations, uh, you know, it's just like it's tough to find anybody who doesn't describe him as being incredibly generous with his time, the greatest player in the history of the game, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah. And like Pele, like growing up, you know, we're kids of the 80s and 90s. Like he, we, I was still watching, you know, cassette tapes about from all his goals. Like those are the tapes that my dad bought me. It was Pele. Like it was, it was, yeah, Maradona came later. Um, but we were, we, we knew all about Pele as kids. Like he was the best player ever. Like there was, there was no discussion. Um, and, and his, his path through the United States, I think made him probably the only player up until now. Yes. We can talk about Leo Messi and Ronaldo and all that, but like he, in a time where, where soccer in the States was not even, I mean, you can't even call it a niche sport. It was, was it, I'm not sure, but like he was (laughs) known to everybody, everybody in the United States, all over the world, but especially in the U S a country that's not known for its soccer. Well, they surely knew who he was. Um, and, and that's part of his legacy for sure. Yeah. I always think about the fact that, you know, he was injured a couple of times during his time in the United States. And I want to say the, um, the cosmos who he played for, obviously they played a game against the Philadelphia Fury at veteran stadium and he was injured. And I think 35,000 people came just to see him walk out there in a jacket and, you know, kick out a ceremonial first kick. I mean, he was, he was a transcendent figure. And, and what you're saying about um, his stature to people of our age is entirely true. Because, look, man, to people like you and I who grew up with soccer, um, Maradona, yeah, you know, by, by the time I was six or seven or eight, was like my favorite player. Mm-hmm. Again, though, um, Pelé was like almost not even a player. I mean, it was just yeah, like yeah. in the air. A symbol. Right? He was like a dude who was like... <laughs> Right, you you talked about the videos. I mean, he did a bunch of like the instructional VHSs and stuff. He did with um, like the Pepsi Cola tapes and like all that the Mastercard tapes, all that sort of stuff. I mean, like I, I, I'm talking about this like these are mixtapes or something like that. Like his hot stuff, like the Pepsi Cola mixtape. <laughs> um, you know, all that sort of stuff. It was just kind of in the air, right? I mean, he's like the only. He was the first, and um, you know, there haven't been many more soccer players just to be on the Simpsons. He was like they kind of lampooned him for being obviously in every commercial in the world, but like that was his stature. I mean, I don't know, in 1992 or something like that um, to somebody who's 12 or 13, if you're transcendent enough to show up in a cartoon, probably that says something. That's huge. Um, You know, so for sure he was like, he was it dude. I mean, he was, my dad doesn't even care about soccer and and knew who play was and knew he played for the cosmos and, you know, so yeah. This is what I'll say about yeah. play. Also, we can we'll end on this because we talk a lot about like his skill. You mentioned the skills that he he sort of was the first, right? The OG uh, of so many of these skill moves and the techers that we see in in soccer today. But what gets underlooked, uh, overlooked? I'm sorry, what gets overlooked a lot. And this is this came to mind with I shared this this reel with you on Instagram. It was these old guys from Argentina, former Argentine coaches that were players back in the seventies and sixties that played against Pele. And it's these Argentine guys talking about how physical a specimen Pele was. Um, you know, one guy referred to his, like he's talked about the size of his chest. Another guy is like, he's the only player that I truly feared. And then the real with like this just hype hip hop track, just shows Pele destroying a bunch of players physically, shouldering guys off the field, 
uh, hip checking guys while he's doing like a sick move. And people forget that. Like he was and like, not to make like a, a cliche comparison, but it was like LeBron playing soccer. Like it was like, he was a physical specimen, the perfect athlete, uh, he, fast, I mean, strong, skillful. He, he, the way he saw the game was next level. But so often it's like, oh, he was just like a trickster. No, like this guy could not be touched. He was that special. Yeah, I had to find a clip of it, but there's a game uh, in America, you know, I think it's a Cosmos Tampa Bay Rowdies game where he he hits Rodney Marsh, this player from the Rowdies, so hard. I mean, <laughs> the dude literally, I think, does a full flip and lands on his back. Um, and I think the, the story behind that was that he had – uh, you know, when Marsh came to the league, they said, uh, you know, you've been described uh, by by your ownership here as the white Pelé. And he said, oh, well, I think Pelé is the black Rodney Marsh. Uh-oh. I think that, you know, obviously Pelé, like even to even be associated with a player that's just sort of like a middling player in England or something <laughs> like that. The first time he saw him, he absolutely crushed him. You know, Love so it. yeah, the, the real you sent me that it kind of got me like hyped up almost. It was so like... Yeah. Uh, you know, you, you forget that, like you said about him. But then again, anytime you see a, sh- a photo that do that with his shirt off or somebody, he's just like absolutely chiseled, yeah. right? So it's it's like a, a true athlete, just like a true yeah. athlete. Yeah. Rest in peace, Pelé, one of the best players ever, probably the, the the best player, the biggest footballer in the history of the game, without a doubt, is Pelé for the biggest brand of football still, Brazil. So. Uh, Pavel, thanks again, man. Love when you come on. We'll have you again. And uh, to all the listeners, thanks for staying on. It was a big show, a long show. We had a lot to talk about, a lot to cover, but it's the first show of the year. See you all next week.